our liturgy this morning has been a great sermon introduction, maybe more, so I won't add a whole lot, but just to say that this is the very Word of God, so please stand and let's read it together from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for wonderful songs that point us to our saving, rescuing, loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And now as we study this word, this great commission as we have named it, and so it is that I pray that you would begin now, even in this moment, to change our hearts in regard to this passage if it's needed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, don't you love being the herald of good news? Now, some of us, because of our vocations and our professions, have to often tell people bad news, don't we? Have you ever had to tell bad news because of what you do for a living? Uh, things like, your van is going to need a new transmission. Or, you're going to need another root canal. Dr. Carrico, have you ever had to say that? Not good news. There is black mold in your crawl space. But sometimes, and it's a joy when we do, we get to share good news. We're engaged. It's a girl. And against all odds, Dollar General had a half gallon of buttermilk so we can make Aretha Frankenstein pancakes in the morning. It's so rare. It happened to us yesterday. Good news. But the best kind of good news is the kind that someone else allows or commands you to go and tell. Now, when I was a kid, a few times a month, our doorbell would ring, and my mom would say these glorious words to me, go tell your brother the pizza is here. And I would run through the house, the pizza's here, the pizza's here. I love proclaiming the arrival of the pizza. What joy. Now, there's an example of this kind of heralding right here in Matthew 28. It's a few verses before our text. If you look back to verse 7, the women have just seen the angel at the empty tomb, and he has told them, Christ is risen. And then he says to the women, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And the text says that the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Can you imagine that moment? The joy, the adrenaline, the fear. 
the realization that Jesus is risen from the dead, the confusion, but their love for him and their excitement was overwhelming their hearts as they went to tell the disciples. So let me ask you a hard question this morning. When we come to verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Is your heart filled with joy? Or is it fear? Or reluctance? Or worse, apathy? You see, and I hope to prove this from Scripture this morning, the first part of disciple-making is proclaiming. It's proclaiming to someone who hasn't heard or doesn't know or hasn't yet believed the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that apart from Christ, they stand as a sinner justly condemned before God. But the good news... No, the the greatest news is that Christ died for sinners. Now, let me ask you again. Is your heart this morning burning with an uncontrollable desire to go and make disciples? Is this a joyful task and command, or are you reluctant and afraid? Now, I want to acknowledge something. This will be just a spark of joy right here. There will be people here today that are thinking right now, yes, let's go right now. In fact, wrap this sermon up as quickly as possible so that I can get back out there and do what I was doing this morning, making disciples. I praise God for you. We need you to influence us and to teach us and to show us I truly praise the Lord for you. But I want to acknowledge something else too. For many of us this morning, go therefore and make disciples of all nations does not result in the same enthusiasm and zeal that it does for you. So bear with the rest of us this morning as we hear from God, and, and Lord willing, you will too, and become even more emboldened the fact is, some of you who have been in church for a while and know your scriptures, you saw the sermon text this morning and you sighed. And you thought, here comes the guilt trip. I know I'm not doing enough. I never have. And frankly, I don't think I will ever get up the nerve to talk freely with strangers or far less my friends and family about Jesus. I'm just not a Great Commission kind of Christian. Friends, <laughs> there is no other kind. There is no other kind of Christian. Now, if that statement seems like a gut punch to you, bear with me for a few minutes. I have no intention of heaping guilt and shame on you or me this morning. I don't believe that this passage is going to guilt us this morning. In fact, I believe that it is going to set us free. For what we find in this text is not only good news for the nations, it's good news for you and me. And this good news comes in three glorious helpings. 
Jesus is in charge. He has given us a clear command, and he is always with us. So as we study this passage this morning, let's see if God doesn't begin to melt away our fear and our reluctance and make us joyful heralds of his good news. So if you're tracking with an outline, if you're taking notes, here's the first point. Nathan has already alluded to it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, these fearful, doubting, worshiping, confused disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Friends, this, listen, this overarching truth regulates all existence in every realm, physical and spiritual. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given by the Father to the Son, Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. All authority belongs to Jesus. Now, just how expansive is the scope of this authority? Total. It's complete. He has authority over every angel and every demon and every galaxy and every neuron, every government, every nation, every people. Jesus Christ has authority over every life. He has authority over your life. Every day of it and every breath of it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And whatever temporary authority that he doles out to others, he does freely for his own purposes. Do you remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate, right before the crucifixion? Do you remember this scene? Pilate is surprised that Jesus does not beg Pilate to spare his life. Listen to these words. Pilate says to Jesus, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Now listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me at all if it were not given you from above. God had the ultimate authority in that exchange, and he had delegated some of it, some tiny thimbleful of it, to Pontius Pilate. Pilate didn't get that. And now that authority has been given to Jesus Christ. He gives it and he takes it away for his own purposes. Now, unless you think this is an unexpected turn in the history of redemption, all throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Have you noticed this? Now, listen to the vision the prophet Daniel records in Daniel 13. This may blow your mind. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that will not be destroyed. Jesus is this glorious Son of Man to whom all authority has been given. Now, I am belaboring this point. Now, why am I doing that? It's because of what Jesus says next. Look at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Friends, the the total boundless authority of Jesus Christ is the only reason that we should dare to go and make disciples, period. You see, if Jesus is not sovereign, even over the lives and hearts of those to whom that we will share the good news of Christ, we should have no hope, no hope at all that disciples will in fact be made. So before we move to our second point, let me ask you, Are you afraid to share the gospel with others? If so, you have thought wrongly that your fear has authority over your life. It doesn't. Jesus does. Do you feel that too much doubt remains in your heart? And that the the disciple-making should be left to those who who don't struggle as much with doubt? You've thought wrongly. That your lingering doubts and questions have authority over your life, they do not. Jesus does. Notice in verse 17 that even as the disciples began to worship Christ as he appeared to them on the mountain, some doubted. And guess what? It was to this confused and mixed group of believing and doubting disciples that Jesus gave this clear command. The authority of Jesus Christ over all things is one way that God begins to melt away our fear and reluctance. But even if we begin to realize that Jesus is in charge and fear and reluctance begin to return because we feel like we just don't know how to make disciples or what to do. Well, I have good news for us. Jesus answers that question. Main point two, if you're taking notes. Jesus gives a clear command. In verse 19, Jesus gives the disciples a clear command. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, on the basis of my complete and total authority over all things, because of this, go and make disciples of all nations. And then Jesus adds two clarifying commands or participles here. These are not additional commands. They're, just, they're connected to the main one. Look at your text. Jesus adds, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Okay? One command, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Are you with me? This is important. So think of it as if you're a parent and you're telling your young child, but old enough to take a shower by themselves, you're telling your child, go take a shower. And then you add, using soap, drying off before you walk around the upstairs. 
Does that make sense? Okay, not to pick on the kids. Let's say you're a kid, okay? And you're, you're uh, asking your parents to make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You're, you're late for school. You know you should have made it the night before. They told you to make it the night before, but you didn't. So you're a child and you need help. And you might say to your parent as you're rushing around the house, please make me a sandwich using creamy, not crunchy, peanut butter and strawberry jelly. One command, make me a sandwich using creamy, not crunchy, peanut butter and strawberry jelly. Are you guys with me here? There's only one command here. It's go make disciples, and this is how you're going to do it. These other things are going to be connected and part of it. But I do need to feel, I feel like I need to point out one thing. It may have been obvious to the disciples. It may not be obvious to us. What is implicit in this command is that the making of disciples begins with the proclamation of the gospel. Earlier in chapter 24, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And if you're still not convinced, Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to these cities. The beginning of disciple making is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that leads us to an obvious question. What exactly is the gospel? That's harder than you think. See, the gospel writer begins his account, his gospel account with these words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So in a broad sense, the gospel's the whole story of all that Jesus did in accordance with the scriptures. His leaving the throne room of heaven, his taking on human flesh at the incarnation, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promise to return. In a broad sense, that's why we call these four books Gospels, because they tell this overarching story. But there's also a narrow sense in what is the Gospel. This is important. It is in this, the gospel in this narrow sense that people need to hear and believe. And that narrow sense is this. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. Friends, disciple-making begins with the proclamation of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. It's this message in particular that our friends, our families, our teachers, our waiters, our mechanics, our dentists the homeless of our city and the founders of our city need to hear that they have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and they need forgiveness 
that only the blood of Christ can provide. Now, where are they going to hear that? Where are they going to hear that? From you. (laughs) From us. Jesus commands that they hear it from us. His disciples, his followers, those who learn at his feet. It's it's we who must go out and proclaim this message of forgiveness to them. And if the Spirit grants them faith, we're to bring them into the church. This one or some other Bible-believing church, by baptizing them, the sign of entrance into the community, into the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And once they have repented and believed the gospel and been baptized and joined a fellowship in a local church, we're to teach them to observe all that he has commanded. This is the business that we are to be about. This is the business Mountain Fellowship is to be about. Go and make disciples. And point three, as Nathan also has foreshadowed for us, Jesus is with us always as we go to do it. Okay, so that's it then. Jesus has all authority. He told me to go make disciples. That's good enough for me. Well, if not, don't worry. It wasn't good enough for the disciples either. Because Jesus comes in close. He started with an encouraging proclamation, and he ends with an encouraging promise. But it's a promise. It's a promise with immediate effect. This is not one of those promises we're waiting to see fulfilled. Look at the last sentence of our text, and behold, I am, present tense, with you always to the end of the age. Friends, there is no greater promise than for the risen Christ to be with his people. And Jesus is not just being repetitive here, saying always and to the end of the age. That's not flowery speech. He's saying, I'm with you now. I will be with you day in and day out, moment by moment, until time is no longer measured in days to the end of this age when he returns and finally makes all things new. And you may say, well, I don't see Jesus. Sure doesn't feel like he's with me sometimes. Maybe most of the time. I mean, if I had the risen Christ in front of me like they did, I might be emboldened to make disciples too. And you know what? You're right. You're right. And as I recently heard a preacher say, you don't have it as good as the disciples did in this moment. You have it better. In John 16, Jesus is telling the disciples that he will be returning to the Father, to the one who sent him. And Jesus says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What? 
How could it possibly be better if Jesus goes away? Well, he tells us, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this helper that Jesus refers to is the Holy Spirit. And of the Holy Spirit, Jesus had told the disciples in John 14, he dwells with you and he will be in you. At the ascension, Jesus returned to the Father, and at Pentecost, the Spirit came upon the church. Now, this Spirit indwells. The Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself indwells every believer. Jesus is with us today through His Holy Spirit. Christian, there is never a moment in your life that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is not in you and with you. Not one. And the same Spirit who goes before us in the work of disciple-making is the same Spirit who motivates us to share and enables us to share the truth of Christ with others. On the basis of the endless authority of Jesus Christ, He commands us to go everywhere, to every people starting here, making disciples them and teaching them, and he will be with us. He is with us every moment of the day as we do this. Now, as I conclude this sermon, I, I want to push on you a bit. I don't often do this, and sometimes preachers don't. I, I want to ask you, how are you going to apply this sermon this week? Some of you may be thinking, I'm probably not going to apply this sermon this week. And some of you may be thinking, I want to do it, I just don't have any idea how to start. And some of you wish that I had sat down 30 minutes ago so that you could get out there and make disciples. I'm going to suggest some simple, specific steps that you can take to begin to enjoy being about the business of making disciples. Quickly, number one, pray for courage and the desire and the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus this week. No one has to tell me to do things I want to do. Do they have to tell you to do things you want to do? So pray that Jesus makes you want to do it. Two, reach out to someone in this church and ask them if they will go with you to share the gospel in a public place. You may think I'm kidding. I'm not. In Mark 6, Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. See if you can find someone willing to begin to learn how to make disciples. You will challenge one another. You will encourage one another. Three, begin to see those around you the way God sees them. Earlier this week, I was at a restaurant in Kentucky. I could tell my waitress was having a bad day because I noticed that she was having a bad day. And I asked her, how can I pray for you this week? She was dumbfounded. As in, she could not speak. She just stared at me. 
until it became extremely awkward and her eyes began to turn red. Still, she said nothing. So I began to suggest ways, things that a Christian might pray about for another human being. And she responded with these words, please pray for the things that I'm going through personally. You know, one of the things Robert Rowe has helped me see over the last few years <laughs> is how Jesus truly notices people in the Gospels. How often do we not notice the people that God has put right in front of us, hurting, hopeless people who need the hope of Christ, and we don't notice them? <sighs> Slow down. See, every interaction with another human being is a potential inroad for the gospel. And lastly, get serious. Get deadly serious about bringing other people to church with you. You know, I said disciple-making begins with a proclamation of the gospel. One of the places that that happens every week is right here in our worship services. Now, it can be proclaimed in other ways besides liturgies and preaching. It can, be, it can be shared personally. It can be taught. It can be proclaimed in many ways. Guys, the corporate worship service, it's ground zero for disciple-making. Do you understand that? Everything that Jesus connects with disciple-making happens right here every Sunday morning. The gospel is proclaimed. At times, there are baptisms. And we always teach. Right now, you are being made more of a disciple of Jesus Christ as you sit under the teaching of His Word. Ground zero this morning for disciple-making. Have you invited anyone to come to church with you this month? Or will you? Now, I know COVID Friends, there is a disease deadlier than COVID-19. It is called sin. And many of the people we interact with every day are already dead of it. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit might make them alive, might regenerate them for the very first time. And you might think, nobody's going to want to come to church with me. I'm about to tell you something, and you may fall out of your chair when I do it. A few years ago, there was a study done about the practices of Christians and evangelism. And the study revealed that of unchurched people, around 80% said if someone asked them to come to church, they would go. Now, it's, it's, a, it's about 10 years old now. You can find this in a book called The Unchurched Next Door. But at that time, it was about 80%. Do you know what percent of Christians had invited someone to come to church with them in that same period? 2%. 80% would come and hear the gospel. 2% are asked. That is staggering. Invite people to church to hear about Jesus. Many of them will come. You know, there is so much more we could say, so many more practical ways to begin to learn to become disciple makers. 
Jesus intends this good news of the kingdom to go to all nations, starting here for us. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse of death is found, Jesus wants his gospel to go that far, that many may be brought in and that the glory and majesty and authority of King Jesus would be known and celebrated in every corner of creation. I'm inviting you. If I could, I would free you to say, go make disciples. Let's pray that the Lord would do that in us, that this church would become a disciple-making church, even more than we already are. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for this morning. For so much clarity for us that the overarching truth in all the universe is that Jesus Christ has all authority and that you have given your disciples a clear command. Go and tell the truth, the good news of this Jesus and make disciples. And finally, that you will never leave us or forsake us because you are with us always to the end of the age. Lord, apply this in our lives this week that we would respond to it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.